Great. So we are back. You're listening to KXSFLP San Francisco. This is Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking. I am Pamela Louie, and I'm joined today by Elena Rosa, who is my, was a guest, uh, a who is a visual artist, actor, and art director. She created Elbar, the first virtual lesbian and queer women's story world. Elena has garnered the prestigious Larser, Feidelson, and Helen Lundeberg Artist Award. Her work has appeared in galleries including Ben Maltz, Los Angeles Municipal Art Gallery, and Disney Red Cat in Los Angeles. She is also a graphic designer and art director specializing in creating virtual worlds for events and organizations. Elena, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Hi. Hold on a second. Okay, now I think you're on. Thanks for having me. Hello. Pleasure. Yes. So I guess before we get into Elbar, because there's so much there to, to discuss, and I think it's a really amazing project. It, would you be, can you just tell our listeners a bit about you uh, and the work you do and what, how you, well, let's just tell everyone about what you do and then we'll get into Elbar. And- <laughs> cool. Uh, let's see, what do I do? Well, I make, I make virtual worlds. Uh, I, I uh, am a graphic designer. Um, but I specialize in making, if you tell me what kind of world you want virtually for conferences, for events, um, and that are custom worlds just for you, I go and I, I will make them. Um, and, uh, I am a bar person, which is why I started this project. (laughs) I'm from San Francisco. Uh, what else? So, so when you say you're a bar person, that means you enjoy hanging out at bars or you've had bars or what's your, what do you mean by that? Uh, I enjoy hanging out in them still. Uh, and I have a fond, wonderful um, memories of, of coming out in San Francisco and, and bars uh, back then. And uh, yeah, I, I believed, I believe in them. I believed in them then, although I didn't know they would all go away. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, I still enjoy them. I love sitting at the bar having a martini. So what, what, what were your bars in San Francisco when you were living here? Well, you know what? There was not one lesbian bar when I got to San Francisco. This is in 1993, 94, 94. Uh, there was, well, Side West. Yes, there was Wild Side West because Amelia's closed like right before I moved here in 1991. Okay. And then the Lex didn't open up until like 96 or 97. So during that time, there was just the one. But then there were places like the cafe used to be a lesbian bar. <laughs> at, right. And I mean, it was. It's like, And then all of a sudden it got taken over by guys and it sucked. But it was <laughs> like that, like 92, 93, 94, even 95. Like that's kind of where me and all my friends used to hang. Totally. I'm sure yeah. we knew each other back then. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it was Sundays at the cafe, DJ Michelle. Yeah. Been Sundays and Thursdays, I think. I can't remember. Um, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I, the cafe was like, that was my regular, that was my local, as, as people say. That was my spot. And I learned how to play pool there. If you remember, they had a, a varsity and a junior varsity table. If you remember, tables, two tables. I, I remember the table, but I'm probably the only lesbian who doesn't play pool. So I was not an active participant, but I remember, I re- yeah, totally remember it being there. I have vivid memories from that time. So yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, um, I left for, uh, London to go to school around 96, I think. So the Lex opened after I had left. So I, the Lex opened in 1997. Um, and so I would come back and go to the Lex. So I would come back to the Lex and sort of, you know, be be a little upset that it wasn't around when I was there because it's amazing. The Lex was amazing. Um, but my time in London was spent at other gay bars, like the Candy Bar um, was my local there um, that was in Soho, which is also closed down. And there was also an amazing cafe, uh, gay co- coffee shop called First Out, uh, which I have fond memories of. So, okay, then you, but you've been in Los Angeles now for how long? Since 2001. Okay, so, but the same thing in LA, like LA used to have the Palms. 
the Palms is no more. There was the uh, Normandy room. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it seems like there's nothing now in Los Angeles too. You, you're probably aware of like the Lesbian Bar Project. I am. And what they're doing. So yeah, I actually, I interviewed them last spring as well. Uh, I think the the good news is that it seems like because there has been such a dearth and there have been some pieces written about it, that there are slowly more that are starting to pop up as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's a shame. I do a, a monthly like lesbian wine bar pop up with someone. It's called Somebody's Sister. But you know, there there's really not. It's it's interesting because people come in and they're just like there's a huge need for it. There's a you know people just really want this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess yeah, I do want to ask you kind of why why you think there's been you know why there are so few lesbian bars now. Um. Well, I think uh, I stopped my, pro I, my project is historical. I cover, I make bars. They're only, and cover the only 1925 to 2005. I think there's a lot of things that happened in 2005. Um, well, MySpace was 2003, Facebook 2004, YouTube 05. Second Life is around the same time as well, 2004. I think, um, I think with the growth of those platforms, uh, there's less need to go to the bar. Um, you know, there's so many places to meet people these days that are also really valid, that are also really, really cool um, online, you know, uh, and chat rooms that are also, you know, just that are, are special to a lot of people these days. So I think that's part of the reason that they've disappeared. Um, and I think it's also... Um, a push away from anything brick and mortar, um, mm -hmm. you know, shopping, everything. There isn't, um, we don't have um, objects and places, architectural places to go to anymore. So I think that also has something to do with it. Um, and I, I would say, um, I think, uh, I see. I see with younger generations. I, I feel like there's less of a need to go and drink your problems, um, to socialize that way. Um, not to say that in the past people would go and drink just for problems. Of course not. But but the aspect of drinking and talking and drinking and socializing uh, is something that young people don't really need anymore. And and you know I think that's that's a good. That's that's a maybe that's a good thing, you know, um, in LA, there's a push to open place. There's a, someone pushing to open something where it's more of a, more of a cafe and more of a place you can gather and you can play a sport if you wanted to, or you can make art if you wanted to. Uh, so people still want that community. People still want to gather, but I don't know if people need to drink over it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we need to take a real quick break. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Texas FLP San Francisco. Okay, we're back. You're listening to Fifth Wave Radio Clearly Drinking. This is Pamela Louie, and my guest is Elena Rosa. And we were talking a, a bit about the sort of the decline of lesbian bars. And I think it's maybe it's not just lesbian bars. Uh, maybe it's other bars as well. But let I want to talk about your project because it's very interesting. So can you tell our listeners what L bar is and why you created it? L bar is a lesbian and queer women's bar story world. It's historical bars and spaces that, uh, were around from 1925 through 2005 and these so what it what it is is I, I've recreated these bars in these spaces I've reimagined them um, in some cases where there are no photographs or I cannot interview somebody because they're based on mostly on oral histories so I've been doing oral histories uh, with gay elders uh, for almost two years now. And they are former patrons or bar owners. And so I make the spaces based on their interviews. And L Bar is a place, it's a virtual story world. So it allows you to come and hang out with friends or meet new people inside of the world. 
And you can also listen to those interviews inside of their respective bars. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. I listened, you know, I've been listening to them over the last couple of weeks and, and actually have learned quite a bit. I think it's a very, from a historical point of view, it is it's very interesting. What made you want to do this? Uh, well, I've always wanted to open my own bar. If you if you've met me at a party for the last twenty years, that's what I say. <laughs> I've been obsessed. Okay, well, well, as someone who's had two bars, let me dissuade you from that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's it's much more fun to be on the other side. Okay, well, it's, it's much more fun to be the one sitting on the bar stool than you know standing up behind the bar. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> um, so I have to tell you the name of my bar that was in my head forever. I even, I even got a neon sign for it. Uh, it was going to be called San Francisco. And it was going to be in Los Angeles or in New York City, but called San Francisco. <laughs> um, so, so, then, uh, so, you know, uh, uh, COVID hit and... Um, amidst all the tragedy that was happening there was also something a deep sort of um fear uh in me that that was worried about what's what's going to happen to my bar my life my lifelong dream that I've always wanted to have and what's going to happen and um it sounds silly to to say that now but it's true I I was kind of freaking out about if I was ever going to go out again and I wanted this dream to happen uh so i uh went to idfa's festival which is uh the amsterdam international documentary festival and they have an experimental wing and they had uh experience in there that uses the platform that i use for my project called oye and it was a world it was a world that i could go into that i could be a part of and it was totally accessible. It's web-based. I didn't need to be under a headset. I could uh, just get on online and I could enter into this other world. And uh, I uh, found out they were still in beta and it was free to me to use. And and um, I decided to make my bar, decided to make them a historical bar project because the world was my oyster at that point if it's virtual I could make whatever I wanted and it didn't make sense to just make my bar I wanted to make a whole world um so how do you go about creating these recreations and I know you said you talked to to some people who've gone to them but they're very really detailed and of the one like okay the ones I've been to well, I've been to the Lexington Club. Um, that might actually be the only one on there that I actually have gone to. But yeah, it, it looks like the Lexington Club. So mm -hmm. how did yeah how did you go about like getting it to really look like something that was actually there at one time? Mm -hmm. uh, well, the process is I've gotten to know bar architecture now in, in various cities. Uh, so I will, with the older bars, um, so 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 gays and lesbians were not photographed in older bars. They, people didn't take pictures because you lose your job or be arrested. You didn't want to be seen in a bar. So it's hard to find what we have are oral histories. What we have are those stories to tell us about them. So, so what I'll do is I, I research a bar, I have loads of books that I rely on for my research. I'll research the bars and I'll come up with a, a sketch of what the bar might have looked like. And then I will find someone um, that went to the bar or know someone that went to the bar. Um, and I will seek an interview with them. And after then after the, after the interview, and we talk about all sorts of things about coming out, about acceptance and the bar. Um, then after that, I'll go back and look at what I've done and then start to create based on that oral history. So, How did you find the former bar patrons? Because there are people you've talked to who you know, like, well, Joe Nessel, of course, being someone who, but, but people who went to bars 50, 60 years ago. So how did you find these people? Uh, well, I have to say uh, the, the project 
it wouldn't be where it is without uh, Marie Cartier's book, Baby, You Are My Religion, Women, Gay Bars and Theology Before Stonewall. Um, I started this project before I got my hands on her book. Um, a dear friend of mine uh, is an informant in her book uh, and that friend handed me it. There, a lot of the patrons in there, former patrons of the bars are in her book. Um, and And I just went through and I just started reaching out to people um, and my my first interview was with Christos, the poet. I've had her work on my mantle forever. And um, that was, I was like, oh my gosh, this can actually happen. <laughs> my second interview with, was with Lillian Faderman. Um, it's like, I just thought, I'm just gonna shoot for the moon with with these, these interviews. And Joan Nessel came along, um, Jill Gomez, I interviewed her recently, uh, Kitty Sue. Um, I just started reaching out to people and then they would reach out to people like Jewel connected me with the bartender, um, Pat, who worked at the Duchess in New York. So I, I so then people would just start to talk and connect me with other people. And it's actually been a really um, amazing and easy process to find patrons. How long did it take you to put this together? Uh, I've, I've been working on it for almost two years. Okay. So, uh, and are you, do you have plans to expand on it or is it just going to stay as it is right now? Every month I, uh, introduce new bars and cities. I imagine the entire world being filled with cities and bars. That was my dream. Unfortunately, the platform that I use, Oye, is shutting down, um, December 31st. So, um, so I'm I'm in a rush now to make everything to make as much as I can before that date. Um, I would like to move the project somewhere else. Yeah, I, I'd imagine I would hope there would be another platform that you you could use. I mean, I think you've been covered such an important part of of LGBTQ history, and done it in a way that I think really is like is it's very visceral and it's very interesting. And it would be a shame for that to all, like also go to the dustbins of history as so much of our history already has. So it'd be great if you can find something else. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I hope, uh, I haven't found anything that's quite magical is what I'm using, um, but but I, I, I will figure something out. I'm not gonna stop the project. Um, I will figure out another iteration of it and I don't wanna stop it. I can't imagine leaving it, it's like, just been personally so amazing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, what have the, the people who you've interviewed, what has been the feedback they've given you about the recreations and, and the project in general? Oh, it's been really cool. Uh, did you say the patrons or did you say people I've been- The people you've interviewed, yeah, that you've interviewed, who, uh, who I assume were patrons at these bars at one time. Patrons with the exception of older ones, much older, like 1925, if it could yeah. have I have I have a historian, um, Jonathan Ned Katz and Barbara Kahn, a playwright talking about her, um, which are amazing interviews. Uh, so um, the feedback has been really amazing. Um, what sticks out? Well, gosh, um, people have really enjoyed um, being inside these spaces again. And, you know, I decided to lead all the bars and spaces with the feeling that people gave me more of a feeling I know I can't it's not going to be what it was I don't remember what the cafe looked. I mean I kind of remember what the cafe looked like um but more of a feeling when you enter and I I feel like um for the most part um, um people have really enjoyed coming back to that feeling whether it's like a really smoky smoky dark atmosphere in a basement just that is like brings back um, sense memories and nostalgia and, and um, I'll tell you um, Leela Thurkild the the owner of the Lex she was, <laughs> she came into the Lex and she was like oh this is gonna be really weird it's gonna be really weird because <laughs> it's not that far it's not that long ago you know? and I think it was yeah. strange for her to be in something that just closed in 2015 I think yeah yeah something like that yeah yeah she gave a really great interview. Um, that was that was really amazing to talk to her. Yeah, I bet. Uh, are, do you feel like there's something even beyond from all the interviews and all the research you've done? Do you feel like there's something beyond what you've been doing with Elbar? Uh, yeah, I think 
think I think I am gonna I think I'm gonna make a documentary. <laughs> um, I say think. Okay. So I haven't said that out loud much. Um, but I, you know, I I think there's I have so so much I have. So, so many histories now, just like amazing, incredible histories that that uh, are just not seen out there, mm -hmm. that are just not in the archives out there, you know, that have a one-liner in the archives that will say Butch Femme Bar in East LA. What does that mean, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I went and talked to the owner of that particular bar, Plush Pony, um, and it's not, that sentence, you know, um, it was a place where birthdays and anniversaries and and weddings happened there, and was a place for family and community, um, and activism. So there's a lot that, especially for lesbian and queer women, there is a lot of history that has been erased, just not even gathered. All that we have are our oral histories handed down. So I think I want to make a documentary uh, about about the project um, and uh, about the history. Yeah, I th think that that would be really interesting, like especially seeing what like the Lesbian Bar Project and what they're doing right now, which is not as much historical, but I think it'd be great to have something that really like dives into the history. I noticed when, as said, there was plenty that I learned. Uh, I thought it was really cool to see gateways because like that's that's used in the killing of Sister George, yeah, uh, you know, which is a film that came out in I think it was a '68, and mm -hmm. that that movie was actually you could see from looking at the movie you could see like what the the club looked like, what the bar looked like. So mm -hmm. I think that was really neat, um, and that is such a movie. So it's just part of I guess the canon of of queer cinema, especially you know for queer women. So yeah. yeah, that that was pretty cool. Uh, do you feel that? Uh, would you say, or how would you say that lesbian bars have changed over the decades? And I don't mean, let's say, from where it was in 1925 compared to how it is right now. But let's just say, like, the period of like 1925 up until, let's go to you know, sort of like you know, the mid part of the century. What was the what was the feeling that you got of what lesbian bars were like at the time? for people who would go there. And I know Grant that each one has their own person, I'm sure had their own personality, but the laws of course are really different. And even up until, in a lot of places until like the sixties and seventies, you know, mm -hmm. there were obscenity laws, but mm -hmm. were you able to really get a sense where there are maybe like different periods um, or like eras for lesbian bars historically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's before this the war before the second world war um th there was there was a lot more f freedom uh i noticed um there it seemed like it was okay it seemed like it was okay to be out in the world and uh, or to be at the bar and and dance if you wanted to, um, drink, drink, well, except for during Prohibition era, but um, it seemed like there was a bit more freedom of identity. When we move into McCarthy, Lavender Scare, the McCarthy era, we move into that um, and bars are being raided and people are being arrested and people are getting beaten up. The bars are, have, I understood from what I gather that they were anxious, anxious places. They had an energy about them that was um, dark. At the same time, there was an energy of desire and freedom to be inside of them, but they also were places um, where, um, where uh, that were that were um, that were full of sadness, you know, that were full of um, really hard, uh, sort of hardened ways of having to be in the world. Um, 
Jewel Gomez recalled that that energy was still present in the 1980s, in the early 1980s, that energy in the bars was still there. It was moving away, it was moving away um, in the mid 1980s. Um, and I put the Lex in the space because I thought it was really important to experience, let me go back. If we go to the IF Club, uh, late 1940s in Los Angeles, I have a restroom in that bar. And in that bar, and that restroom is a place where you could express your desire in that bar at that time, after the war, during the Lavender Scare, you could express yourself there. So it's, then I, I go to, I bring in the toilet at the Lexington if we go to 1997 to look at the differences of those two spaces. One is a place, the earlier is a place of, of um, freedom. The only place, the only place you could express yourself is in there. And the other, 1997, is a place, because it relies on the history of the, of the darkness of the toilet, of the, of the sin, the crime of being in the toilet, it relies on that history. This is a place of freedom also, but it's, it's, uh, it's built on the shoulders that we have stood on. The freedom to go and write all over the walls and have sex inside of, of that, of the toilet in the Lex or make out or whatever you want to do in the bar. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, a freedom that um, has been, has been uh, earned over many, many years, over almost 50 years to be able to express yourself and write on the walls in the toilet in 1997. So I think it's really interesting. That's why I go through the years and I think it's interesting to compare the, the purpose um, and the meaning inside of these walls. So I think that a big difference between the gay male community and, and the lesbian community, as far as bars are concerned, because there are so few lesbian bars, you pretty much would have all sorts of people congregating one place. Whereas, and you might remember this, like the Castro bars in the 90s, uh, there were places that were like the sweater bars, there were the leather bars, you know, there were like the different, depending on the kind of person you were, you know, there were the daddy bars, there were the bear bars, there was like bars for different types of people. And in the lesbian community, we didn't, we didn't have that. It was like, okay, if you wanted to be around other dykes, you went to the Lex and it didn't matter if you consider yourself a lipstick lesbian or, or you know what you are that was the place to go right. and i and i actually think in a way that was really interesting because it did just because of that one commonality it just brought so many people together mm -hmm. which i thought was was pretty cool uh mm -hmm. which which is why i think having so many of them closed down it really has been a huge disruption with the community mm -hmm. uh that we have now. I, I want to talk about this some more, but we need to take another quick break. Uh, you, for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. This is Biffray Radio Queerly Drinking, and we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. You're listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. This is Pamela Louie, and my guest is Elena Rosa, who is a uh, an artist, an actor as well, uh, and art director. And Elena created Elbar, which is a virtual lesbian bar space. Uh, it's, if you go into it, you can find out about different lesbian bars throughout most of the 20th and parts of, of the 20th century as well in different parts of the world. Um, it's a very interesting exhibit, and I think historically very important. So today, the terminology that a lot of people use today has changed, especially people who, let's say, are you know, Gen Z, some millennials, or a good chunk of the millennials. When we were sort of coming up through it, it was more like you, I, if you wanted to say something edgy, you said dyke, right? Like <laughs> the word queer just wasn't really as much a part of our lexicon. But now it, like that, it seems to be the preferred term that people say queer. And then they'll say, let's say queer women. But I think that for, let's say for someone like myself that identifies as non-binary, even saying queer woman doesn't really cut it 
So to me, it's like lesbian is actually or dyke actually feels more uh, honest when in my case. That said, I know that for a lot of other people, that really is very different. And do you think that the, sort of this change in terminology, which I think also allows for much more fluidity and flexibility, has also ha had an impact or in some ways correlates to the fact that there are just not that many lesbian bars around now. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, a friend of mine said, uh, she said, she said, you can't, Marie said this, Marie Cartier, she said, you can't have a lesbian bar if you don't want to call yourself a lesbian. <laughs> I just, well, okay, point taken. Pick out of that because I hadn't heard that. And heard that before. I just, I was like, oh, right, <laughs> right. You know, um, it's interesting that lesbian needs to qualify itself. Woman lesbian has always needed to qualify itself. Um, gay men don't seem to have to do that. They can just have gay bar and they don't need to qualify what it is um i think that i think that when you show up somewhere and there is this is why i wonder if we i, I mean i often wonder if we still need lesbian bars i do i do wonder um i the the showing up to a place showing up to a bar in the past showing up and finding, looking at people and those people can mirror what you, who you are, mirror your truth uh, is, is life affirming to show up somewhere and some, and you know, if you identify as lesbian and you show up and, and other people identify as lesbians, that, that mirroring I think is um, something so beautiful. Um, now, we can show up anywhere and there's many ways of being. Um, we don't need to show up and have that mirror anymore because we can be who we are on the street. We can be who we are every in our job, everywhere we want to be. So we don't, it's not as crucial to have that mirror or is it for young people? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is for, non-binary people to show up and there are only non-binary people there. Uh, but I, I do think that the lesbian bar has suffered because people don't feel that way anymore. Lesbian is a, is a, is a awful term for a lot of people. A lot of young people, they cringe when they hear lesbian. What, why do you think that is? Uh, I think lesbian gets confused with lesbian separatism. Uh, maybe confused isn't the word. Um, they can be. They 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 do talk to each other, but I think it, get, it gets confused with extreme notions of lesbian. And I think I think it gets confused with seventies, nineteen seventies, lesbian feminism, and I think it gets it gets confused with with the ways in which other people were included. Uh, like the Michigan Women's Festival, I think it gets confused with the ways in which people outside of lesbians were not included. But in reality, lesbian they existed long before the seventies. The word lesbian and 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 people didn't identify with that early on, but it existed. I think there's many ways. Lesbian is a sort of broad term. There's many ways to be in that space. Um, interesting that you talk about. Queer, I don't, I wouldn't, couldn't identify with queer. It doesn't have enough chutzpah for me because my marker was Dyke from San Francisco. Those, mm -hmm. That's what I said. I didn't just say Dyke. <laughs> I had to have, so I had, that was my thing. You know, we're all different. You know, we're all, we all come up the way we come up and everything is a different marker for somebody. Non-binary can be a very different marker for somebody. Yeah, sure. That's and like I think saying you're like a dyke from San Francisco was definitely you know for what we were talking about earlier in that that during that time in the 1990s there was a thriving lesbian community here. It was it was a pretty and not just the bars there were cafes there were other things going on. It was 
you know, I, I liken to what it was probably like for gay men in the 70s. You know, maybe not exactly the same, but where it was just this incredibly empowering time. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, things, and I do wonder why things have changed. Uh, as not to say that I don't think it's empowering. I think it's because the, our notions of non-normative sexuality have just have expanded. And uh, you know, I, that I, th I think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I don't think it's, you have to, someone should have to identify as lesbian or as straight or how, you know, however they want. And queer just seems like it's an umbrella term for a lot that's, that encompasses. But as far as like how it plays out culturally, no, you don't see the same, uh, you, don't, uh, you don't see the bars, you don't see the cafes that used to exist. Mm -hmm. And the what what I do take uh, what I do find find is interesting though is that you do see it more you continue to see a lot of men's bars mm -hmm. and you know spaces for men. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, it's going back to this. There are places like here in, in the Bay Area. There are a couple of restaurants that are like they're queer restaurants. Everyone's welcome, but mm -hmm. it's basically what what they're saying by saying we are a queer restaurant is that by coming in here, this is this is our norm. You know, like this is our space. You're welcome here, but mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's great. Like friends and family in Oakland. There's another one that just opened up in San Francisco that I've heard is great. There is a place in New York, but again, and and these places also they seem to be run by women. Mm. Uh, and but instead of saying this is like a lesbian space, they're saying queer. And maybe that's because that because they feel like queer is more welcoming, and more encompassing than than saying lesbian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, or yeah, more, more how they identify. Yeah, yeah, maybe more how they identify, but also it is, it is, it's, it's more encompassing. It's, it's for everybody queer. Um, it, it's an umbrella term for all. And with that, um, it, it doesn't. It, there's not a politic, not a lot of politic involved, um, uh, in saying that, and in queer body bodies entering a space. I think there is a politic involved when a lesbian body enters a space. Um, but is there a politic involved when a gay male body enters the space? We never know. <laughs> okay, so 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 why 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 is there something that's so much more othering about someone about a lesbian body? Because lesbian, there you. Why is there something more othering? Uh, In your opinion. My opinion, yeah. Yeah. Why, do, why does lesbian always have to qualify goes back to why does a woman always have to qualify qualify herself um it's about woman i think we're getting to i think we're getting it's a gender i think we're getting into it's a woman it's a woman entering a woman entering a space a woman taking space a woman saying something i think i think um it's still a problem i believe this i think it's still a problem for women to gather i think it's still a problem for to to um to gather and have something to say i think it still gives men anxiety i think it still gives society anxiety i think it's a real so if a woman walks into space or there's like a lesbian gathering i think um i think that i think there that's women that's a women gathering i think there's a i think there is an underlying problem there with women mm -hmm. do you think that other women have a problem with women gathering? Absolutely. I don't think that, I don't think that any, including myself, I don't think anyone is outside of the culture, the patriarchy that we are under. I don't think any of us are outside of that, but it's the, something that we always have to question. I think, um, but maybe it's something that I, I'm, I'm always checking, but you know, you know, there is, no, I, let, me, let me say that. No, there's a lot of women out there that gather, that celebrate, um, that are for other women gathering and celebrating. I'm thinking about which, which amazing spiritual, which communities um, uh, um, there's that celebrate women for who they are and their individuality. Uh, but I, I, I think it's always something to, that we have to check. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that there are women who uh, are fine with other women gathering so long as it as they're doing in a way that continues to support patriarchy. <laughs> okay, uh, and I think there are a lot of women that are that like 
love the idea of women gathering, celebrate. I think there are straight women who, I think a lot of straight women would most of the time rather be in company with other women than, than with men. And I've heard, I've heard people say this, but I do think that there are women who are as mis, as misogynistic as men. And for them, the only, the only appropriate time for women gathering is, is when it is uh, something that is sanctioned and is not going to be threatening to, to men. Uh, <laughs> and as uh, we could see this, I mean, just in, if you like a media version would be like watching something like the handmaid's tale, but I was like listening to what's happening right now in, in our politics and some of the women who are gaining political power and the ways they're doing it. And they're, you know, they're not, you know, they'd be very happy to bring women back to a time that would, when it's the 1950s again. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. So I do, I, I don't know, that's, that's just sort of like my take on it too. But I, I was wondering, you know, what your thought was on it, especially at having done all the research and history of the, the history that you've done for Elbar and, you know, what you, you just what you've come across. I, I'm sure you've, you've had hours and hours of interviews and heard incredibly interesting things that people have had to say uh, over time. And Actually, I would be great to, I'd love to talk to you about some of the specific uh, interviews that are in there and some of the people that are mentioned, um, especially uh, Ava, uh, what is her, Kachever? I know that's the, just, or she went by Ava Adams, but then Ada Kachever. And I, that was, a, I, I did not know that story. Uh, would you mind maybe just telling our listeners uh, her story? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're speaking about Ava Kochever. Uh, okay. She also went by Eve Adams uh, in the U.S. And uh, she she was a Polish working class immigrant lesbian. Uh, I start the project with her. Her uh, it's, it's a tea room. We're in Prohibition era in New York, nineteen twenty five. I start the project with her space uh because i uh, have i just have such reverence for who she was and who she continues to be um in 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 the in my heart who she continues to be um uh eve's hangout is, is what she started in new york city which was in greenwich village that was not her first tea room lesbian tea room she had uh, Gray Cottage in Chicago. Uh, in in New York, um, she uh, so I interviewed Jonathan Ned Katz, who wrote a book about her life, and Barbara Kahn, who was a playwright in New York City, who wrote three plays about her life. She ran this. Eva Kuchever ran this tea room, and it was a place for women to gather. It was a place for women to gather and share uh share songs share poetry there was a theater nearby share reviews uh give critiques about about plays and things it was a place to come together um men were also allowed in this establishment um but uh, after a certain i read after a certain time at night only only she only allowed the women in um it was it wasn't a it wasn't like she allowed there's a horrible sign that said only that said no men allowed something like this outside of her establishment which wasn't true um so there was a kind of a lesbian uh phobia around her because it was like she's this man hater but she wasn't a man hater and that sign wasn't wasn't a true sign um so anyway women women would gather here the government set her up uh she wrote a book called lesbian love in 1925 and she self-published this in 1926 and she gave out copies of her book the government set her up and uh set her up with a female police officer that asked her out on a date and the female police officer over a period of time convinced Eva Kuchever to give her a copy of that book and the government used that book to arrest her um put her on trial and the following year she was deported uh back to Europe and then she was eventually killed in the Holocaust and 
Jonathan Ned Katz gives a wonderful interview about how everybody played a role in her death. And I think it's something to really think about today. Everyone had a job to do in New York City, um, starting with the local, the local police, the, the clerks, the secretaries, everyone had a job to do. And everyone did their job. The policewoman did her job to get a copy of this book. Everybody did her job. And eventually she was killed. And everyone played a part in that. So I, I think it's, I think it's um, a really important to think to look at to understand how we all play a role in somebody's life and especially now I feel like we're just moving into it um more and more back to the 1950s like you said um I think there's evidence of fascism going on all over the place uh, I think it's really important to uh just be aware uh how we all play a role in somebody's life so be so take care of one another yeah, well, <clears throat> I wonder if that police officer who set her up uh, ever found out that she was killed at Auschwitz. I wonder, I wonder, yeah. I don't know, I don't know, I wonder, gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that when I read about that, or was MS listening, I was like, that, that was really haunting. Uh, she was Jewish, so I, I yeah, maybe being queer has something to do with, I think when she was arrested actually with her lover as well. And I think both of them were killed. Um, and yeah, and yes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah but it, it definitely being Jewish as her lover was Jewish as well. That was, that was enough. Um, but yeah, really sad story. And as right. you said, it, it is where like everyone has the, you know, there were, there are numerous people that contributed to her death. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, she it sounds like she was, what she did that was really heroic. She knew she was taking a risk uh, by having this tea house. Um, and that's, that's true of others as well. And I think that there were definitely some other stories that I thought that really stood out too. It was interesting to you know, hear like Nancy Valverde you know, talking about doing it like her experiences or their experiences i'm not sure what, what pronouns are, are correct but um in los angeles mm. and then it's also in la there were i think a couple of bars where they were also the they were also like really a very big part of like the mexican like communities in these areas too yeah, there's this whole East LA history of lesbian bars in Los Angeles. Um, that's just it's incredible and thriving. Um, uh, yeah, Reds. Reds is uh, was around since uh, I think the '40s. Nancy started going. Oh no, it might have been before that because Nancy started going. 1932, late '40s is when she started going. Uh, Nancy was arrested multiple times for what was called masquerading that interviews in the space that you, that you referenced. Yeah. Um, Cause she wasn't wearing the correct amount of gendered clothing, uh, which I believe was three pieces of gendered clothing that you had to wear. Uh, then to think about it today, that's just so crazy. You know, I'm thinking about what I'm wearing. I'd be in prison right now. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, and so, but so many people would. So many people. Everybody. I mean, it's just that 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 like what we're that our that clothing was so that was just so prescribed. Um, yeah. and was just it's. I mean, now it's kind of crazy to think about. But as you were saying a few minutes ago, you think about where the the world is turning. You think, are we heading back to those days? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. I uh, I'm nervous about it. Actually. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, uh, mm. which is which is why I think it is important to have places, whether they're bars or coffee houses or whatever it is. But I think it is it is important for people who are part of historically marginalized communities, which is very true of the gay community in general. And I would say it, it's even more it's even more true of lesbians than it is of, of gay men, mm -hmm. because gay because gay men have been able to because they're male they've they've been able to afford a certain privileges. It's even more true of queer communities of color, you know, mm -hmm. where it's 
you know, we think about, okay, where are we now? But like, where, where are we going? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when you see all of the, you know, all of the murders every year of like black trans women mm-hmm. um, and it keeps going up and, and just the, the way the things, you know, the laws in places like Florida and Texas. So I do think it's, you know, we could ask the question, is it important to have lesbian bars today? I don't know if it's important to let's say have a place for people to go and drink alcohol. Right. But I do think it's, it is important to have a place where people can find community and where they can organize, which, which was a really big part of it. Exactly. Um, and uh, this is my next, my dream now has moved from, maybe I want to open the bar, but I actually think what we need, like you're I'm, saying, I'm still going to talk you out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually think what, what we need is, is like you're saying, a place to organize. I would open something. I would open, uh, yeah, not necessarily a drinking wine if you want it. What uh, like um, I, I would open a, a restaurant, uh, but I I would open a place that has a, a voting that has uh, information about about elections coming up and 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 positions you might be interested in taking. I think anywhere that that your agency can be um, can be talked about. Uh, that place would also have lesbian history because I don't I don't know if we need lesbian bars and and but I, that's not for that's not for me it's for people to go go and f- f- think if they want them they should have them um, but I would open a place um, that has lesbian history so a place for queer people to gather everybody to gather but I would love a, a place to sh- to show where we've come from so we don't take that for granted so we we honor and recognize uh, how far we've come and actually how we might be moving backwards and we better be really careful. You know, I think that's what we need. So a place that celebrates and honors lesbian history, a place where you're, where, um, where you can learn more about um, your local um, politicians uh, or national uh, uh, place where uh, uh, you can um, um, spend, play some music if you want to, uh, you know, a place that's more, to to gather and find yourself and your history i think that's what we need yeah well we are out of time but uh that was a good note to end on because at least i think it shows there is positivity in this uh but okay so you said that l bar will be up until the end of this year on this current platform yes exactly and so the url for that is just it's just l it's a so lbar.co Exactly. Uh, so again, it's lbar.co, and hopefully you will find another venue and the project will continue on. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. And for those of you who are uh, listening right now, this is KXSF LP San Francisco. We'll be back in just a minute.